on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika sports leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're doing well on this Friday afternoon. It is sunny. Oh, my goodness, it is hot outside. I mean, it hits you immediately as soon as you walk out the door. It is hot outside in my truck. I drive a 97 Dodge Ram, and the air conditioner takes a little bit to get going, so it, it is so hot outside, and it takes a little bit to get going. So when you get in the car, it's... You're already just hot and sweating because you just, it's already hot and the air conditioner can't get going. So it's just that time of the year here in the state of Alabama. But congratulations, you made it to Friday. The weekend is almost here. Hopefully you have some good plans uh, for the weekend. I will be moving apartments, so that's what I get to do this weekend is move from one apartment to the other here in Auburn. That's what I will be up to. Uh, but hopefully you have some good plans for the weekend. But... Before we do that, we've got a great show on tap for you today here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Phone lines are open. Give me a call, 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to me here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Anything on your mind in the sports world, anything I'm talking about, anything else that you would like to mention and you want to be a part of the show, give me a call. I'd love to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Well, of course, we keep the countdown to kickoff here on the show. 57 days away from September 3rd. That's when Auburn football will kick off the 2022 season. We have some stuff to talk about on that later. And I tweeted it out today. Uh, Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Goins2Jacob, G-O-I-N-S, the number two, J-A-C-O-B. I tweeted about it. I will talk about it later on in our number two, but... We have a lot to get to today here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Last night, Jabari Smith, of course, the number three overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. He was Auburn's just star player last year, Auburn basketball, that is. And he made his NBA Summer League debut last night against who else? The Orlando Magic and Paolo Bancaro. That's right, the team that passed up on Jabari, who told him... They were drafting him number one overall, which that is 100% true. They told him for weeks, possibly even months, that he was going to be the number one overall pick. Everybody thought it. Everybody, really everybody knew it, that he was going to be the number one overall pick. And then on draft night, the Magic decided to switch it up, shock the world, and draft Paolo Bancaro number one overall. Of course, Chad Holmgren went number two overall to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Jabari Smith went third to the Houston Rockets. But both Bancaro and Jabari Smith made their NBA Summer League debuts last night against each other uh, on ESPN. It was late last night. A tip-off was after 9 o'clock here Central Time. The Magic win 91-77. to Um you know, in these summer league games, the score is not you know, super, super important. Winning and losing is not the end of the world here. But looking at 
you know, the stats and the performance and watching how these players play and how they adjust in-game and how they adjust throughout the summer league season, that is what's important. That is what, that's the reason for these summer league games. That's why we watch them. Uh, Jabari Smith last night had 10.7 rebounds and three assists. Uh, Solid outing for Jabari. It really was solid outing. And to be honest with you, Jabari and Paolo both looked good in this first game last night. We're going to dive into that. I'm going to tell you why we need to remember it's just the summer league. Remember me talking about Chad Holmgren? It's the same thing right here. We'll talk about that as well. Paolo Bancaro, I'll tell you what, he's bigger and stronger than I remembered. We'll get into that as well. Jabari, there's something that didn't happen last night that needs to happen, and it's not all on him. And then, of course, both of these guys, their potential is through the roof. We're going to cover all of that here in the first segment. Give me a call, 334-321-1390. Let me know what you thought about Jabari Smith's performance last night if you watched it in the NBA Summer League. But talking about Jabari and Paolo Bancaro, because I want to give both of these guys the respect that they deserve. They both played really well. Paolo played really, really well. Had 17 points, four rebounds, and six assists. He had a solid game. And he did a little bit of everything last night. He had the drive and finish at the rim, some free throws. He also knocked down a couple jumpers. He knocked down a three-point shot right in Jabari's face and just buried it, nothing but nylon. So you got to give the guy credit. He looked good last night. But Jabari did as well. It took him a little bit to get going. It did for Jabari Smith. But eventually, you know, his first point was at the free throw line. He missed the first one and then knocked down the second one. And then he started knocking down um, some some dribble drive layups. And, uh, you know, he had a strong left-handed drive to the basket through contact. I really liked that from Jabari last night. And, again, he ended up uh, with with 10.7 rebounds and three assists. So a solid stat line for his first game in any NBA action. And, again... It is Summer League, though, so we do have to remember what we're watching. It's Summer League basketball. These are players that have just been drafted, were drafted one or two years ago that are still trying to get reps and adjust and get more experience with professional basketball, and also guys that are trying to make it on rosters. And so this isn't the same type of competition that you'll see in October and November when the NBA season gets underway. It's completely different. This is, it's, it's kind of like the NFL preseason. I guess you could compare it to that. I think this is probably a little bit higher quality and more talent just because you are playing with a lot of guys that were just drafted and some guys that have been drafted one, two, even three years already that are playing in the NBA, still really young in their game and trying to get more reps and more experience. You see that in the preseason too, but they make huge cuts in the NFL preseason. So, I mean, yes, you can compare them a little bit, but there is a, a, some, some talent difference in my opinion. But again... This is the NBA Summer League. And remember when Chet Holmgren had his huge game in night one where he just went off for a bunch of points and blocks and rebounds and everybody started losing their minds. And I came on here and I said, okay, hold up now. Not saying it wasn't a good performance because it was, but it's Summer League basketball. So let's slow down just a little bit. Same thing with Paolo Bancaro. Same thing with Jabari Smith, right? Paolo had 17, 4, and 6. Jabari had 10, 7, and 3. 
Those are good stat lines. And Paolo had some really good plays last night, some good dribble drives, a couple of nice jump shots. He's a big physical guy, and he had a good game. Jabari had a decent game, but whether it's a good game, decent game, or bad game, you can only judge it so far. We're talking about NBA Summer League, but these games are still important. These games are important because it gives players that were just drafted, like Paolo, like Chet, like Jabari, and everybody else that was drafted, it gives them great experience. You're keeping your in-basketball shape. You're running with professional basketball players, and most of these guys actively play in the NBA or are going to be actively playing in the NBA. It's a learning experience for these guys as well. Not only are you gaining that valuable experience, you are learning on the fly. You're learning the difference between playing college basketball and playing professional basketball. How the referees are going to officiate it a little bit different. How the coaches are going to coach a little bit different. And ultimately, the pace of play, the speed, the the knowledge that it takes to play professional basketball versus what you get in college because there is a difference even in the summer league summer league is still massively different than college basketball also with summer league look I'm not complaining I'm saying we should take it with a grain of salt but I'm not complaining at all it's extra basketball and it's fun to watch a guy from Auburn get to play and try to you know impress people before he gets to the the actual big games in the NBA so I'm not complaining at all more basketball is fine with me and I'll admit, during you know, in years past, I will keep up with the NBA Summer League. I'll watch it here and there. I don't just sit down and make sure I catch every single game because, again, it is the Summer League. But there is good basketball, and there's a good reason that they do it. And then ultimately the development. So the experience, the learning experience, you're playing more basketball, that all leads to development. And you would be surprised how much a player can develop just in the Summer League by itself. That's why you see... NBA players who are currently playing on rosters that played last season or even two seasons ago, that's why they're still running here in the NBA Summer League. That's why they are still signing up and saying, yes, I want to play on our Summer League team. I want the experience. I want to get better. More reps equals more development equals improvement. That's how that works. You're not going to get better unless you practice it and play it and do things wrong and learn from that. It's the same thing with anything else in life. You're not going to get any better by sitting on the couch and watching TV. No, you got to go out and do it. You got to put time in the gym and then you got to go out and do it. And that's exactly what the summer league is. And I think guys who, who do that, even that they've been in the NBA for one or two years, I think it's so smart to do and play summer league basketball and opt in. It also looks good, right? It looks great. If your organization sees you as a second-year player in the NBA and you say, yeah, I want to play in the summer league, I may be be better than a lot of these players and I may be older than a lot of these players, but I'm still going to play for the reps. That's what NBA Summer League basketball is about. And before we dive into Jabari and what needed to happen with him last night and what needs to continue to happen, I want to talk about Paolo Bancaro. This guy is good. Okay, he's really, really good. He's also bigger and taller and stronger than I remember him being in college. I will admit that right now. I watched him play last night, and I was like, I don't remember him being that big, but he is. I mean, he he stands next to Jabari, and they're almost the same height. I don't know their exact height right now, but he's a big guy. 
And we know the difference in Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith's game, right? Jabari is going to be the step-up shooter. I'm going to shoot it over you in your mouth, and I'm going to knock it down, where Paolo Bancaro is the type of player to put the ball on the floor and finish at the rack. And I think both of those players would love to have the other one's attribute and make them a fantastic player. But watching Paolo last night, it told me that his potential is really, really high. He can be a great player in this league. Paolo Bancaro is a fantastic player. And you know what? He was deserving of the number one pick in the NBA draft a few weeks ago if Jabari wasn't there. I still think Jabari can be the better player. I think Jabari will be the better player. But I'm not even upset anymore that Paolo took the first overall pick because the guy can play. He can absolutely play. I think he's going to be a great player. I really do. He has everything it takes. He's got the size, the physicality, the ball handling, the strong will to finish at the rim. And last night, he flashed a jump shot a little bit. Like I said, he knocked a three down when Jabari was guarding him. And I liked that both of those guys were guarding each other most of the time when they were on the floor at the same time. I love that. Absolutely love it. But Paolo Bancaro is a great basketball player. I'm excited. I want him to be good. I like him. I like him a lot. He seems like a good kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's only going to get bigger, faster, stronger, and ultimately better. I'm excited for him and Jabari to to grow up in the NBA and get better together and see where they are five years from now. And I hope that there's no bad blood there. I know that's not really the type of player that Jabari is. He's very motivated, and you can, you can hear that from how his Houston coaches talked to him. They talked about that during the broadcast last night, how Jabari Smith is extremely motivated from what happened on draft night. But even besides that, even if Jabari was the number one overall pick, he would still be extremely motivated because that's all he knows. All he knows is put in work and be good at basketball. That's what he was raised to do. But I don't want there to be any bad blood between him and Paolo Bancaro. I don't think that'll be the case because I want both of them to succeed. I want them all to succeed. Don't get me wrong. But I think those two guys in five to seven years can be the face of the NBA. I truly believe that. I think these guys are so good, Paolo and Jabari. They both have such unique skill sets at such a young age. And you look at Jabari last night, it took him a while to get going on the offensive end. He only scored 10 points. He did what he needed to do. His defense set him apart last night. He picked up some fouls, and I did not know this, but apparently in the NBA Summer League games, apparently you can pick up 10 fouls in a game. I did not know that. They said that on the broadcast last night. I did not know that. That's hilarious. 10 fouls in a game? That's unbelievable. I know why they do it, but that's that really caught me off guard. That was really funny. But Jabari Smith last night, his defense set him apart, and the, and the broadcasters, they noticed it early. And that's what will set him apart. That's what will keep him in the NBA and on a starting roster until he fully develops on the offensive end. Strong defense and strong-minded players survive in the NBA while they develop. He got that not just from Auburn and Bruce Pearl. He got a lot of it from there. But he's been a basketball player his whole life. Jabari Smith, is just he's just a basketball player, man. That's what he does. It's all he knows. It's all he wants to do. And I think his potential is through the roof. But 
Last night, watching Jabari Smith play for the Houston Rockets in the NBA Summer League game, I realized something on this Rockets team. Do you remember, okay, do you remember before the draft, weeks before the NBA draft, when predictions were coming out and draft boards continued to come out, and I said I did not want Jabari Smith to go to the Houston Rockets. Do you remember me saying that? There's a reason. Because Houston's track record is not that good with talent. When they have talent on the roster and through that organization, their track record is horrible. They don't do anything with talent. I am still worried about that with Jabari Smith. And last night in the game, and I'm not saying this one game is what the entire season and organization will be like, but last night in the NBA Summer League game, Jabari didn't get the ball nearly enough. The guards that played last night for Houston were, to use an elementary playground term, they were ball hogs. They were. Every time they came down the floor, the guards were super, super downhill and trying to score every single possession. There wasn't a whole lot of ball movement. Jabari was moving, setting high screens, rolling off the screens, making good assists. He had a few of them last night. But the ball did not get put in Jabari Smith's hands very much. Not nearly enough. And we know from his time at Auburn, we know Jabari Smith needs the basketball in his hands. He's too good to watch everybody else play. We know Jabari Smith has to get the basketball. He's too good to not have the ball. We're going to talk about more of that on the other side of this break. We're off and running here in hour number one on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Did you watch the Summer League game last night in Jabari Smith's debut? If you did, what'd you think about it? Let me know, and uh, we'll have the question of the day on the other side of this break, and it'll be about Jabari Smith, so make sure you're ready. Give me a call, 334-321-1390. More of On the Line when we come back. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back here on the Friday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Question of the day. I'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Talking about Jabari Smith in the NBA. For Jabari Smith. What is the ceiling for this young man in the NBA? How high can he climb in the NBA? I'd love to hear from you. That's the question of the day. 334-321-1390. What is the ceiling for Jabari Smith Jr. in the NBA? Give me a call. That's the question of the day. Man, I mean, the ceiling for this guy, literally, in my opinion, is one of the best players in the NBA MVP championships, the whole nine yards. If you ask me, I think that is his ceiling. Do I think he will get to that level? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know yet, right? It's way too early to try and predict that. He's had one summer league game where his stats were in. So I don't know. The potential, though, absolutely. He has the potential to do that. And not every player has the potential to do that. Take Paolo Bancaro, for example, I think he has the potential to be a fantastic player. Do I ever think he will Okay, do I think he will ever be the best player in the NBA, Paolo Bancaro? No. 
but he could be one of those guys. He could be, I'm trying to think of a comparison for him, man. I, I don't, I'd have to really sit down and think about a comparison for Paolo Bancaro. We know who the professional comparison is for Jabari Smith. It's Kevin Durant, who is one of the best players in the entire NBA. That's what Jabari Smith could become as a Kevin Durant-like player, right? That is what's exciting about Jabari Smith. What do you think? What's the ceiling for Jabari Smith in the NBA? How good can he get? What is, how far can he climb in the NBA, Jabari Smith? I'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. But continuing on with the summer league game that happened last night, some takeaways after Jabari Smith's first NBA action in the summer league against the Orlando Magic and Palo Bancaro. I was talking about how last night during the game, Jabari Smith did not get the ball nearly enough. And it almost sounds like a broken record from when he was playing here at Auburn, right? We saw that during the Auburn basketball season so much. I would, I would be on this show uh, screaming and, and praying and, and begging for Auburn to get Jabari Smith the basketball. Now, is he as aggressive as he needs to be at times? No, especially on the offensive end, trying to get open and get the basketball. But early in possessions, give him the ball. And last night with the Houston Rockets, we didn't see that. We saw guards who were on the floor who were very aggressive in their own right and were trying to score and do it themselves. And I understand why. It's the NBA Summer League. These guys are trying to make a name for themselves. I understand what their reasoning is reasoning is and at the same time it is the summer league and so you're not super 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 concerned about the win I mean you'd like to win and you're playing to win but these guys are playing to get the experience and to make a name for themselves and to have their executives and their GMs and even other GMs possibly see them and know who they are so that they can make it on an NBA roster and survive in the NBA And so when they get the chance to shine, they're going to do it. But if you want Jabari Smith to be the best player for your team and you want Jabari to be the best player that he can be, you got to give the man the basketball. He's too good to stand around and watch. Get him the basketball. And he's the type of player where he needs early reps. He needs the ball in his hands early to get his shot going, to get his confidence boosted right? Last night, it was late first quarter before he even took a shot. He got fouled, and then he knocked down one of two free throws, but he is a player that needs a little bit of time in the game to get going, but once he gets that mindset going, and once he gets a little bit of confidence, he gets to a point where he almost can't miss, but you've got to let him get to that point, and not giving him the basketball or letting him take a shot until late first quarter, almost second quarter, that's not going to get it done in the regular season. You want Jabari to be an effective impact player for you? you got to give him the basketball. And again, we saw this at Auburn, right? We saw at times the guards would not make the correct play and they wouldn't get the best player on the floor of the basketball. How many times when the game was on the line did we see Jabari Smith not touch the ball? How many times in a late clock situation did we see a deep, deep three from a guard instead of giving it to the best shooter in college basketball. We saw that a lot. Too many times, if you ask me. And I just don't want that to happen in the NBA. 
And again, this is different in the summer league than what it will be in the regular season, I hope. I hope this is different. And I hope that even during this summer league that it changes. Jabari Smith is too good to not have the basketball in his hands. And he's not going to get any better if you don't give him the basketball. But when you do, and he starts get, he gets on, and he starts knocking down shots, he's going to be one of the best players on the floor. He's got the mindset. He has the physicality. He has the skill set, the mindset. He has, I mean, he's just got the skills. He's too good to not have the ball in his hands. You don't draft a guy like Jabari Smith for him to be a role player, a screen and roll type of guy. No, give him the basketball. And I think what will help him is developing the ability to bring the ball up the floor because then they can draw up plays where after a make or after a miss, they can give it to Jabari, an outlet pass, and let him take it up the floor. Rather than a guard having to bring it up, Jabari having to come over and set the screen and roll off of it and give it to him that way. That will help him down the road when he develops the ability to to bring the ball up the floor. Because then, think about how dangerous that is. We know he can pull up and shoot off the dribble. So think about when he can confidently dribble up the floor And we saw him last night put it on the floor and take it to the rack and finish through contact multiple times right and left-handed. So then think about if he's able to do that and shoot off the dribble and bring the ball up the floor. They're not going to be able to defend this guy because you have to defend him on three or four different ways and you can only defend one or two. You can't defend the drive, the pull-up shot, and the dribble all at the same time. You can't do it. It's physically impossible. So if he develops all of that, He's going to be a fantastic player, but you're not going to get better if you don't have the basketball in your hands. And so the Rockets better figure it out now. Give Jabari Smith the basketball and good things will happen. I can promise you. We saw it firsthand here on the Plains. We saw it. When Jabari didn't touch the ball, Auburn struggled. But when Jabari got the basketball, he makes the right decisions. He can shoot lights out and he's the best player on the floor. That's what has to happen for Jabari Smith to be successful, for the Houston Rockets to get what they drafted and get everything out of him. I think it'll happen, but I just don't want to see his talent go to waste. Halfway through hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Stay tuned. we got 30 minutes left here in hour number one. Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Back here on the Friday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Just wrapped up the conversation about Jabari Smith in the NBA Summer League last night. Again, let's not overreact, right? We didn't. I said don't overreact about Chet Holmgren's great game in his first summer league game. We're not going to overreact about Jabari Smith not getting the ball last night. We're not going to do it. Okay, we're not going to do it. He's going to be fine. Houston's going to be a great place for him, and everything's going to be fine, and Jabari Smith will be the best player in the NBA in five to seven years. <laughs> All right, let's just uh, let's keep our eggs in that basket for now. But halfway through hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back, on Wednesday, 
I had a I had a a great segment about college athletics and where they are heading with all of this talk about schools going different places, the realignment conversation, possibility of major conferences merging, all that type of stuff and it was a great segment. I want to re-air it right now because it was. I, I think it was a really good segment. And if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I want you to be able to. And it's still extremely relevant because we're still in this situation of what is going to happen with college athletics, what schools are going where, which conferences are disappearing or merging together. There's so much going on and so many speculations right now. So sit back and I'll. Uh, I'm going to play the the segment I had on Wednesday about the future of college athletics. Now it's time to get updated on everything going on around college athletics with teams going everywhere, right? We, we've seen Oklahoma and Texas coming to the SEC. That's obviously been in place for a while. We have now the news of UCLA and USC heading to the Big Ten. That broke last week before the long weekend, but... Uh, rumors reports whatever you want to call it have been flying around like crazy um uh, just flying around everybody's coming up with different scenarios there's reports of of mergers there's reports of teams leaving to go to other conferences and others being left in the dust there's all kinds of stuff going on with these programs and, and teams and schools leaving one conference to go to another and mergers and all of that we're going to try and and break it all down here and just figure out what's going to happen here because something is going to happen. That's what we've got to know is something's going to happen. The, the Power Five will no longer be the Power Five for very long. I can tell you that right now. I can promise you that right now. That is those days of the traditional conferences that we know are over. The SEC is going to continue to get larger. The Big Ten will continue to grow more and get more teams. And then the, the question, there's a couple of questions here, right? Who will the SEC go after? Because they're going to need a couple more. Who will the Big Ten go after? Because they are going to need a couple more. But the big question remains, what does the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 do? What do those three conferences do? to not be left behind there's a lot of different options here there's obviously there's the reports of the sec trying to go after uh five or six of the acc schools including clemson florida state uh, i've seen virginia i've seen north carolina uh, i've seen a lot of different variations of that and then of course you have the pac-12 schools i've seen reports of some of those like six of those going to the big 12 Schools like Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, a couple of more, maybe Utah and a couple of those schools, right? I, I've seen the, the, the talks of those schools going to the Big 12. But something that's interesting, I was reading on uh, Sports Illustrated earlier today, is what would a Pac-12, Big 12, ACC super merger look like? If the three conferences of the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12, instead of being picked apart by the other two conferences, the SEC and the Big 10, and instead of two of the conferences merging together, what if all three of them just said, well, let's come together and be a third super conference. Instead of two, there would be three. 
I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And so it is, what would it look like? And here's what they kind of came up with. What the remaining Pac-12ers, Pac-12 teams choose between rating Big 12 or ACC? Why not try to merge top from each conference for a super conference? So they're saying take the best teams from all three of those conferences, ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12, and just throw them all in the same conference. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Duke, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, Arizona and Arizona State, Oklahoma State, and Kansas, and do anything to get Notre Dame. That's an interesting way to look at it. That's an interesting hypothesis. All of those teams being in the same conference. And remember, I I want people to remember this. This is not just football. That seems to be the the topic of conversation when talking about these conferences and teams leaving to go to other places. Everybody's talking about football. And I know why. Obviously, football is the moneymaker at all of the, or, well, most of these schools, not all of them, but for the most part, college football is the moneymaker. But this is for all college athletics, folks. So think about these conferences and these teams playing to each other and playing together through football season, basketball season, baseball season, any college sport, they'd be playing together, right? And we had the conversations about the traveling issues, right? You think about UCLA and USC traveling to to Rutgers to play college football and traveling to Rutgers in the middle of the week to play a Tuesday night basketball game. That's a little ridiculous if you ask me. They got to travel from Los Angeles, California, all the way to New Jersey for a midweek game against Rutgers in basketball? Come on now. That doesn't make any sense. But it's happening, and there's nothing we can do to stop it, right? That is happening. And so when you look at it, what's going to happen? Well, frankly, none of us know. That's the crappy part is none of us know truly what's going to happen. Because there's so many possibilities of what could happen. But I can tell you this. The SEC is not done and the Big Ten is not done. I think Notre Dame will go to the Big Ten just because, as crazy as it is, the Big Ten can offer more TV contract money per school than the SEC can. Which is crazy, but they can. And so I think that's why Notre Dame will eventually become part of the Big Ten. But the SEC, they're going to definitely try and go after those big ACC schools. The ones like Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, um, maybe like a Virginia or something like that. They're going to try and go get a couple of those. They don't want this merger because the SEC's got to fill some more slots. I think the magic number is 20. That's what people have been talking about. The magic number is 20. 20 teams in these two quote-unquote super conferences of the SEC and the Big Ten. But if the other three decide to merge together, then who does the SEC go after? It's an interesting way to look at it. I don't know. I don't know where they would go. If those three conferences said, well, we're just going to take the best four teams from our conferences and we're just going to all come together. Now, I think that's a little ridiculous when you start talking about the travel situation again because you would literally have Washington and Florida State in the same conference. The exact opposite corners of the country would be playing each other in conference play of football, basketball, gymnastics, whatever it may be. 
They would literally be traveling the entire length of the country diagonally to play. That's a a little ridiculous. I think the conferences should somehow be geographically smart and relevant to be a conference. Like Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina, that would make sense to be in the SEC. And you could even make the argument that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 being in the same conference would be okay. You could make that work. But schools from Los Angeles, California, traveling to Big Ten schools every week or every other week, that just doesn't make any sense. And a team like Florida State traveling to Washington or Oregon, that doesn't make any sense either. And that's, it's different when it's just a one-time out-of-conference home-and-home matchup. That's different. This will be on a yearly basis. And when you're talking about baseball and basketball, these are long trips for a random Wednesday night game or a random week series or a weekend series. That's a long trip. And so that side of it just doesn't make any sense to me. But trying to figure out what's going to happen here, I have no idea. I have no idea. And honestly, I don't even know what I want to happen because there's so many options and so many possibilities. I'll be honest. It's hard for me to wrap my head around it because there's so many different things that could happen. Clemson could go to five different places. They could. And so that's what's all confusing about it. There's so much going on and there's so many different, you know, rumors and reports and people obviously all options are on the table for everybody, right? You've get, you're talking about the, yes, the conferences, all options are open. The teams and the, and the schools, all options are open. And so what's actually going to happen? I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. The SEC and the Big Ten will still be the best conferences. Even if the Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC, they do that three-team merger that Sports Illustrated wrote an article about, even if that were to happen, the other two are still going to be better than those three combined. I'm convinced. Because look at it from a football perspective. If those three were to combine, football-wise, you would have Clemson, Oregon, and that's it. Right now, that'd be it. North Carolina, decent. Florida State's not anything right now. Washington, eh. Stanford, eh. Cal, no. Arizona schools, not. Oklahoma State, uh uh-uh. And Kansas, no way, Jose. So football, if that were to happen, they'd have two or three teams. The SEC and Big Ten, almost all of them are good. So when you look at it from football, they're still going to be dominant. If you look at it from basketball, if those three were to come together, Yeah, you have North Carolina and Duke, Arizona and Kansas. They'd be a little bit more dominant on the basketball side. But the SEC and Big Ten, they still have a lot of good schools. And they've got just, they have more of them. And that's what is going to happen. No matter what the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 conferences do and the schools do, whether they come together or they all go their separate ways and get picked apart, no matter what, the SEC and Big Ten will reign supreme. That is happening. It's happening in front of our eyes. And obviously, the biggest schools right now, Clemson, Notre Dame, I think those are the two big names right now. Oregon, that's another one. Last week when this all broke, I talked about Oregon. They would be 
really dumb to stay in the Pac-12 as it stands right now. If they were to just stay in the Pac-12 as it is, they would, they'd be hurting themselves. They would be hurting themselves. So I think Oregon will leave somehow, whether it's a merge or they get taken to the Big Ten. They're going to go somewhere because as it stands right now, Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12 on most sports, I would say, especially football. I don't know. It all is just so crazy to me how this is happening, and it's happening so fast. It's happening so fast. And it started with the Texas A&M, or excuse me, the Texas and Oklahoma news coming to the SEC. But that's been in the works for a while, and that's been solidified for a while. But then it was the UCLA and USC news. When that broke last week, late last week, everything just went in a spiral, and everybody started going crazy and everything just turned upside down. And college athletics, as we know it, they're changing. It's not going to be the same anymore. It's not going to be the same teams. It's not going to be the same conferences. It's not going to be the same postseason with bowl games or championship games. There's talks of doing separate championship games. There's, there's talks of conferences joining together and hosting their own championship game, something that they've already talked about with the SEC and the Big Ten. Everything is changing in front of our eyes, and it's changing forever, which is crazy because in my life, it's been basically the same. We've seen some teams add and move and that, but nothing to this extreme. This is massive, folks. We'll look back on this in 20 in 30 years and say man you remember when when there were five power five conferences do you remember that we're gonna look back on that and think how weird was that and I don't know if this is gonna be good or not I really don't I I would love to say yeah I think that all of this shifting and breaking up and, and merging and realigning is a good thing for college football and a good thing for college athletics I would love to tell you that but I don't fully believe it. But I also don't think it's going to be just completely horrible and just destroy college athletics. Uh, I'm not trying to like sit on the fence and sway either way. I just really don't know. I'm leaning towards the negative side more than I am the positive side. I'll tell you that. I think there's a lot of downfall. There's a lot more downfalls and negative sides than there are positives and upsides. I I can tell you that much. But... As for the future of college football and college athletics, it's a mystery. It's a big old question mark right now, which is scary. And I'm not even in it. Imagine being a college athlete right now. Or imagine being a high school athlete who's trying to go and play in college. Who knows what the state of college athletics are going to be in the next five years. Add NIL to that, it's all changing right in front of our eyes. And... I think it's more – now, NIL, you know how I feel about that. I'm negative on that. But everything just thrown together, and it's all happening so fast. I think that's the problem is everything is happening so fast. I feel like down the road, we're going to look back and say, you know, we could have avoided this problem. We could have avoided this problem. And this scenario came up, and if it would have been considered just a little bit more, we maybe could have avoided this. I think we're going to look back on college football and athletics in general 
in the next five to ten years, and we're going to find those problems, and we're going to find those holes in the system, and we're going to say, yep, that's where we messed up, was when everything started changing, and it started changing so fast. I'm okay with change. I'm not a person that is against change, especially with college football. That's fine. I love change when it's the right change and it's change for the good. But I also want it to be a a process and make sure all your, your boxes are checked and everything has been considered before you just rush and do crazy stuff because that's what's happening right now. I just don't want it to ruin college athletics. I know that's dark, but it it very well could happen. And it's not going to be the same. That is the one thing I can guarantee you. It's not going to be the same as it was. Whether that's a good or bad thing, only time will tell. And we're going to find out together. And that statement still stands, folks. That was two days ago, Wednesday, before the, the solo report of those ACC schools trying to come to the SEC. Scary times in college sports. We'll see if it is for the good or for the bad with all of these changes. Let's take our final break here in hour number one. We'll come back and wrap up this first hour of the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Got a couple of minutes here before we get out of here for hour number one. Make sure you stay tuned. Hour number two will be at 3 o'clock. You don't want to miss that. Make sure you stay tuned. The Atlanta Braves last night were going for the sweep against the St. Louis Cardinals, and they just missed out on it. They lose in extras 3-2. to two. In 11 innings last night, the Braves, they just couldn't get it going offensively enough to to uh, to pull out the victory because I'll tell you what, the Braves last night, look, they had a great chance to sweep the Cardinals. There's no doubt about it. They had a fantastic chance to do that. And you, they were playing a Cardinals team that isn't that bad. I mean, they're 45 and 40. Uh, they're not a bad team. And when you look at who started for the Braves on the mound. Spencer Strider has just been absolutely dominant for the Braves since he's been up. And he had 12 strikeouts in six innings for the Braves last night. He gave up two walks, two hits, no runs, and 12 strikeouts last night uh, for the Braves. So uh, it's just unbelievable what he was able to do they pulled him after six he hadn't given up a run and then of course the Cardinals scored some down the stretch the Braves had a little bit down the stretch as well and the Cardinals saved themselves late with some defensive efforts they push it to extra innings in the 11th they score one and the Braves are unable to answer they lose last night three to two but the Braves still take three out of four against the Cardinals you cannot complain too much about that the Braves now They start a three-game series against the Nationals at home, the Braves do, before they welcome the New York Mets, of course, the team who is at the top of their division. They will be coming to town uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So in this series this weekend at home against Washington, great opportunity for the Braves to win yet again another series. You welcome in the New York Mets. Hopefully you can win the series. You are at home. That's a tough game. Big matchup as the Mets are ahead of the Braves as of right now. And then you play Washington again on the road. 
some winnable games for the Braves coming up and a big-time series against the New York Mets. We'll see how it goes. Braves fans, be excited. It's a great time to be a, a fan of the Braves. Hour number one, officially in the books. We'll be back. Hour number two coming up. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika sports leader. I'm your man Jacob Goins here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika sports leader on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're doing well on this Friday afternoon. I hear a little bit of thunder outside. It started a couple rolls of thunder here in the Auburn area. Not sure if it's supposed to rain or not. I haven't looked at the radar or anything this afternoon. I didn't think it was supposed to. Uh, It's not super dark outside or anything, but I was hearing some uh, thunder rumbling. So hopefully uh, maybe the rain will stay away. Hey, maybe it'll rain and cool it off a little bit out there. It is miserably hot, Uh, but hope you're doing well on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Congratulations. You've almost made it to the weekend. Just a couple more hours. Uh, You got one more hour with me. You got the drive from four to six right after me, and then the weekend is on. Hopefully you have some good plans for the weekend Uh, I will be moving apartments this weekend here in Auburn so I have that to look forward to uh not so much but I am excited to move from one place to the other but that's my plans this weekend hopefully you have some some good plans as well hour number one officially in the books you know what that means hour number two officially underway here on ESPN 106.7 Auburn Opelika sports leader if you missed any of hour number one make sure you go and find the podcast just search on the line wherever you get your podcast I will upload that immediately following today's show so make sure you go and find that just search on the line wherever you get your podcast it was a great first hour i expect nothing less here in hour number two phone lines are open here in hour number two give me a call i'd love to hear from you anything on your mind in the sports world anything i'm talking about that you want to chip in on give your thoughts and opinions on anything else in the sports world that you want to be a part of the show on i would love to hear from you here on the friday edition of on the line give me a call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 that number again 334-321-1390 give me a call anything on your mind I'd love to hear from you 57 days away from Auburn football. The countdown continues. We're a week away from the 50-day mark and as I keep telling you Once 50 days hits, folks, it is on. I'm telling you, it is so exciting. When 50 days hits, I feel like that's really the time where it just flies by, where college, you can smell college football. You can see it, right? You can see it down the road. And so a week from today is next Friday, obviously. That is 50, that's the 50 day mark. After that is SEC Media Days. And 
in case I haven't made this announcement, I don't think I have, I will be broadcasting live from SEC Media Days on, on Radio Row all week long at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. Uh, we have been in the works to get that done and very excited to announce I will be at SEC Media Days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Not next week. It's the following week, July 18th through the 21st. I will be there uh, getting uh, interviews and audio and playing them here on the show All kinds of good stuff, hopefully, coming out of SEC Media Days. We'll be covering everything going on Monday through Thursday from all of the SEC coaches, players, everything like that. Uh, The commissioner will be speaking as well. So lots of good stuff. Very excited to go over there. I'll talk more about that next week, but did want to let you know. But we hit the 50-day mark, and then Media Days is after that. And then the football season is right there around the corner. So we are oh so close. Just hang on. It's, It's coming. I promise you. But we will start hour number two like we always do with making headlines here on Friday, July 8th, 2022. Jabari Smith had his NBA Summer League debut last night. He dropped 10 points. Uh, Had, I believe, I just had it pulled up. He had like seven rebounds and three assists last night, did Jabari Smith. And look, comes down to it, he's going to be just fine. He started out a little slow on the offensive end. Uh, his first point was a free throw. He got he got to the free throw line late in the first quarter. That was his first shot attempt. It was a mid-range jumper. He pulled up, got fouled, went to the free throw line, missed the first one, and then sunk the second one like we know he can. And then he was able to to get some points. He had some good dribble drive, uh, layup through contact, and, and you know through some defenders. So that was good to see. He eventually did knock down a couple jump shots. The game was late last night, and I was in bed by like 10.30 because I had uh, Auburn Opelika this morning duties over on News Talk WA&I filling in for Ben Taylor. I did it yesterday, today, and I will also be doing it on Monday from 6 to 9 a.m. on our sister station, News Talk WA&I 98.7. So I was in bed early last night because 5 a.m. is a very early wake-up call for me, (laughs) and so... I didn't see all of the game last night from Jabari Smith and the Rockets, but he ended up with 10 points, some rebounds, and a few assists as well. And really my only complaint last night from what I saw was the Rockets' guards not giving Jabari Smith the ball enough. I talked about it back in hour number one where the guards last night for Houston, and I understand why they were doing it, but when they would get the ball, it was like a one-man show. They were driving to the basket or shooting or doing whatever they could do to score. There wasn't a ton of ball movement last night. So Jabari didn't get a ton of opportunities. Uh, He did miss a couple of shots, but I mean, obviously not going to make them all, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities. And I want to see Jabari get the ball more. That is something we saw was an issue at Auburn when he played here was the guards not giving him the ball enough because he's the best shooter on the floor and you got to get him the basketball. He can't be a threat if he doesn't have the basketball. So I I would like to see some more of that. It was only the first game of the Summer League, though. Don't want to overreact too much. But if this becomes a trend throughout the Summer League and into the regular NBA season, I'm going to be upset because Jabari is too good of a basketball player to not have the ball in his hands. He's too good. He can do too many things, and he's such a good scorer. 
He needs to have the ball on his hands. I hope this is not a trend that builds throughout the summer league and into the regular NBA season. I don't think it will be, but we'll have to watch. Jabari Smith made his NBA summer league debut last night against the Orlando Magic, the team that passed him up on draft night and drafted Paolo Bancaro instead, who had a fantastic game himself, had 17 points, looked like a fantastic player last night. And I was talking a little bit earlier He's a lot bigger and stronger than I remember him being in college. I, I'll admit that. He, he looks, he's a big guy, and he's very physical, not afraid to put the ball on the floor, can finish at the rack. He also showed some jump shooting ability last night. He knocked down a three when Jabari was guarding him and just buried it, nothing but net on him. And so I was impressed by Ben Carroll last night. But again, it is the first game of the summer league, so you don't want to just buy in and, and go crazy like people did with Chad Holmgren. Pump the brakes a little bit. We'll see how it goes. The NBA Summer League, it's a great thing. It's a great you know, event that goes on through the summer for guys who were just drafted or guys that are very young in their NBA careers to get good reps against professional basketball players. But you can only buy into it so much of what you see and the performances by each individual player. We'll see how it goes. I'm excited to see Jabari and other, and of course Walker too, get into the regular NBA season. But he made his NBA Summer League debut last night. Moving on and making headlines, Auburn basketball this summer in August will be traveling to Israel to take on a couple of the Israel national teams. It's some trips that Bruce Pearl has been doing over the last couple of years. They take trips to other countries and play some professional teams from those countries. It's a bonding moment for the team. They get to go and sightsee. Uh, now that COVID is, is basically over, right? the world has opened back up again, they're able to do this. And so the Auburn basketball team will be traveling to Israel in August. And Bruce Pearl talked about how he wanted these games to be televised. He wanted people, Auburn fans and other fans of basketball, to be able to watch these games when Auburn basketball plays. Well, he got it done. SEC Network will be airing these games as Auburn basketball takes on a couple of the Israel national teams, uh, maybe a couple of other teams too. They will be playing in August over there and they will be aired on SEC Network. So congratulations to Bruce Pearl and Auburn basketball. That's really cool. That's, that's actually really cool. We'll get to watch Auburn basketball in August, watch them play a couple of games and kind of see, see some of the new guys play. We'll see how the team looks. Obviously, it's going to be early, right? It's still August, and the, the season won't be for a couple of more months, but that's exciting to be able to watch Auburn basketball in August. So I'm not complaining whatsoever. No matter if it's good or bad quality basketball, it's going to be Auburn basketball in August when they make a trip over to Israel. Bruce Pearl gets that done. It'll be aired on SEC Network. Matchups, times, and all of that, I don't believe have been announced yet. That will probably be a little bit closer to time. Moving on and making headlines, of course, the news going around college athletics right now. The one source saying four ACC schools are trying to get to the SEC. What's the status of that right now? As it stands, I haven't really seen a whole lot of other information about it. And as I talked yesterday, and this still stands firm, when something actually happens, we will hear about it. And the big point that I had was the reason... The reason we didn't hear about the UCLA and USC news until the day that it happened was because they did it on purpose, right? They did that on purpose, and I think any other move like that that happens, whether it's ACC schools, Pac-12, Big 12, whoever it may be, 
it's not going to be until pen hits paper and it actually becomes official. Um, I just think that's the way that it's going to be. And so if you see anything on Twitter or online, whatever it may be regarding teams considering going to other conferences, it may be true. It absolutely could be true. But I would just be, I'd be cautious with what you see. And so with this solo report, I haven't seen anything else about it. If you have, let me know, 334-321-1390. I'd love to hear it if you've seen anything. But I just don't think anything, I'm sure there are conversations being had. Don't get me wrong. Conversations are being had behind closed doors. And teams and conferences are in the works to do something. But what it is exactly, I don't think we know, and I don't think we're going to know until something actually happens, and and I think they're doing that for a reason. Some more headlines here on Friday, July 8th, 2022. One of the biggest players on the trade market right now in the NBA, Kevin Durant, uh, he requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, I guess it's been about a week ago, and the Brooklyn Nets, as they should, they are asking for They want everything, including the bathroom stalls in the arena. They want everything for Kevin Durant if he is to be traded. I mean, they are asking for every superstar on a team plus some draft picks. Uh, For Minnesota, the Timberwolves reached out to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn said, yeah, we want Carl Anthony Towns, we want Anthony Edwards, and we want four future first-round draft picks for Kevin Durant. What? Are you serious? I mean, that's, that's not something that Minnesota can afford to do I mean they they could they would not be smart to do that that's trading their entire future for one player in Kevin Durant who is really good by the way but let's be honest he hasn't proven that he can do it by himself right he has not proven that that he can do it by himself so Minnesota would be dumb to take that but it turns out that Brooklyn was expecting all of these NBA teams to just be flooding their inbox with trade requests and, and uh, you know options for Kevin Durant. And it turns out that's not the case so much. People are reaching out, but I think Brooklyn wants so much for Kevin Durant that teams aren't willing to take the gamble. Teams are not willing to trade away their entire organization, their entire future for one player in Kevin Durant. He's a fantastic player. He's a top five player in the league. But how much longer will he be here? I don't know. And is it worth it to give up your entire future for one player? That's the problem that Brooklyn has run into right now. Kevin Durant is still a Brooklyn net, folks. He has not been traded. Uh, People have reached out, but uh, apparently, according to some ESPN sources, it's not as exciting as you think it would be, and Brooklyn has hit a wall when trying to trade Kevin Durant. I'm sure something will come up eventually. They will find a negotiation to get him traded because he obviously does not want to be in Brooklyn anymore, and there's a lot of teams that would love to have Kevin Durant. I'm sure it'll get worked out. Same thing with Kyrie Irving. It seems more likely that he will go to the Lakers than anything. That is still in the works as well. Just an update on two massive players on the NBA trade market. One more headline here, and I tweeted about this earlier. This was ridiculous. I saw this on Twitter earlier today before the show, and I wanted to address it. Sports Illustrated predicted, and I saw it was a graphic. It was via Sports Illustrated. Some account on Twitter tweeted it. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but it was via Sports Illustrated. So it was their picks for 
uh, the, the upcoming college football season in the SEC, they were making predictions on their record predictions for all of the SEC teams. And you know what Auburn's was? Four and eight. That's what they predicted Auburn's record will be at the end of this football season. Four wins, eight losses. And you know what? That ain't happening. I promise you that is not happening. I, it's, I, I refuse to believe it. Four and eight is not happening this season for Auburn football. I know people are doubting this team, and I know people are doubting the amount of talent on this team, and people are doubting Brian Harson and this coaching staff, and I'm not saying they're going to go and win a national championship, folks, so let me get that clear. This team and this program and this coaching staff and this head coach, they are not having a four and eight season. That is ridiculous. It's not happening. I would, I would put my life, maybe, <laughs> that it's not going to happen, right? I just, I firmly believe that it's going to be a pretty good season. Again, I don't see Auburn winning 10 or 11 games, but I don't see them having a horrible 4-8 and eight season. I just don't see that happening. That means they expect Auburn to win the three cupcake games and one other game, one? I just don't believe it. I don't. I don't see it at all. Four and eight is ridiculous. Now, if they would have made the prediction and said Auburn was going to go like one game under 500, sure, I would understand where they were coming from. I still wouldn't agree with it, but I would understand where they were coming from. But saying that Auburn football this season is going four and eight, there's just no way. And I know that there's people that believe that's the case. And I know a lot of you are in that boat. And I'm sorry. I just don't agree. I don't agree. I think Auburn gets eight wins this year. I I really, really do. I think Auburn football gets eight wins this year. They're going to surprise people. There's more talent on this team than people realize. And yes, the schedule may be the hardest in the country, but it's still doable. right? It's still a doable schedule. We've seen worse. We've absolutely seen worse. You start the year with five straight home games. Auburn should win all five. I think they'll probably drop one. But they should and can win all five. Then you go to Georgia. Sure, that's tough. You've got some tough road games. You've got to go to the Mississippi schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, places that Auburn has not played well at over the years. Right In recent, in recent memory, Auburn has not played that great at the Mississippi schools. But you have Arkansas at home. You have Texas A&M at home. Two tough teams, tough games, but you have them in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And I know you have to go to Alabama. That's tough as well. There's more than four wins on this schedule, folks. This is a team that is better than four wins, I promise you. Now, are they going to go and win 10 games? No, probably not. Are they going to have a winning season? I don't know. I think so. But only time will tell. What do you think? At this point, on July 8th, 2022, we are 57 days away from Auburn football. Is 4-8 and eight a reasonable prediction for the for Auburn's record this year, I'd love to hear from you. I, I think it's ridiculous, but if you agree with it, let me know. I'd love to hear your reasoning. I, I would absolutely love to. I, I want to hear what you have to say. I love when you guys call in and agree or disagree with me. I'd love to talk it out. 334-321-1390. 334-321-1390. We are off and running here in hour number two on the Friday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about Jabari Smith. Question of the day. What is the ceiling for Jabari Smith in the NBA? We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Friday edition of On the Line. 
are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Matthew, welcome in. Hey, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing great, man. What you got for me? Hey, so I wanted to talk about this uh, win total. Um, yeah, do you agree with it? Absolutely not. And why um, not? No way. I just – if you look at our schedule this year, and I mean, I'm kind of a homer, but – if you look at our schedule, we've got two guaranteed losses, I think, which is Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair to say. Every other game that we've got on the schedule is a winnable game. Yeah, I, I agree. I really do. I, it's fair to say that Georgia and Alabama, you can chalk those up as L's. I mean, unless miracles happen, right? It's just the state of the programs, but I agree. Right, they do. And, and, and you know, we could make some magic happen. You know, it is Auburn, but – um, outside of those two, I can't really peg a loss. I mean, people people are high on Texas A&M, but people are high on Texas A&M at this time every year. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then they win eight games. Um, but uh, Texas A&M, LSU, I don't think they'll be all that great. I don't think LSU is usually a bad team, but mm-hmm. I don't think they'll be that great. Um, Arkansas will be good, but we get them at home. Um, You've got the Mississippi State, schools on the road, right? They, they're uh, they're both on the road. Um, Mississippi State's going to throw for you know five thousand yards probably, but <laughs> I think we come out in that game really hot only because of what happened last year. Um, we gave up the big. Yeah, I would. I would Miss, hope so. Ole Miss is a toss up. Um, we don't really know what Jackson – I think it's Jackson Dart, their quarterback. We don't really know what uh, what he's all about. If he's good, they'll be hard to beat. If he's okay, then, I mean – Right. Well, know, well, uh, Matthew, you know what it sounds like to me when we break down the schedule, besides Georgia and Alabama and, of course, the cupcake games that Auburn is supposed to win, with Penn State and all of the other SEC schools, Auburn may not be favored in many of these games – but I would put them at almost 50-50 toss-ups, maybe even a, you know, a coin flip, basically, where I could see either team winning in these matchups. Yeah, exactly. I, I forgot to mention Penn State. Um, yeah, but you're right. I, I think other than, other than Alabama and Georgia, you're right. Every other game is, is winnable just as easily as it is losable. But we've seen um, in the past yeah. where, where Auburn doesn't win those 50-50 games, the toss-ups, right? We've seen that. So that's where Auburn has to take the next step this year. Right. And, I mean, if you – just kind of what I'm hearing out of the program, and I'm sure you probably hear more than I do, but you look into that Huddle with Forest podcast and, and all that stuff, I mean, it sounds like the culture is – it sounds like they've got a winning culture for sure. Yeah, um, I would agree. It just, it just, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say we're we're going to be a great team, but I also think eight wins is. Uh, if, if if somebody asked me to bet, I would say eight games. So you like Auburn to win eight games this year? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, agree. I think we start off. I think we start off five and zero. I think we split the Mississippi schools one and one. Um. We're going to lose to Alabama and Georgia. 
and then between the rest of them, I mean, I mean the rest of them are toss ups, if you ask me. I mean, I think yeah. besides Alabama and Georgia in the in the three cupcake games, I think all of the games are toss ups. Matthew, I appreciate the call, man. Have a great day. Definitely. That was Matthew here on the Friday edition of On the Line. I'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. Look, a 4-8 and eight prediction is just its mind-boggling. I just can't even believe it. I know where people are coming from when they're predicting Auburn to lose a lot more games than they win, but I just don't see it. I really don't. And, you know, it, you may not buy into the positivity. And look, it, I'll be honest, I'm not normally the most positive person about Auburn sports because, look, this is the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I promise you, if Auburn is good, I'm going to tell you they're good. And if they're not, I'm going to tell you they're not. Remember a basketball season where I said Auburn has issues and they're not fixing them and it's going to come back and bite them? Yeah, second round of the tournament. Exactly. When it comes to Auburn football, it's going to be the same way. But as it stands right now, on Friday, July 8th, 2022, I feel confident going into the college football season. We're 57 days away, and I feel confident. And I don't see anything that's going to mess that up. If anything, I'm going to be more confident by the time September 3rd rolls around. Once Calzada is named the starting quarterback, which he will, I think Zach Calzada will be your starting quarterback on September 3rd. And once SEC Media Days is over and fall camp begins and the team really starts getting into it and we get closer and closer to the season, I'm going to feel really good, I think. And then we can finally see this new program because whatever we saw last year and the things that happened last year, good or bad, I think you got to wipe that out for Auburn football. I really do. This is a new team and a new program. This has got new players. Everybody that's here wants to be here. The whole Brian Harson situation in February has come and gone, and I think that he survived and has made the, the right changes. Right? I, I hate that he had to go through that, but he was able to stand up there and say, no, this is my program, and I think he's running it that way. Will it work? We're going to find out. And we're going to find out really soon, especially in those first five games. I've told you that those first five games, and, and most people will tell you this, they're the most important games of the entire season. You've got to start out good because it, it gets really tough from there. And as I was telling Matthew, I appreciate the call, besides Alabama, Georgia, and the three cupcakes, I think every game is a toss-up for Auburn this year. I really do. I think either team could win and I know you're saying, well, yeah, duh. But no, I really do think there'll be competitive games. And if you told me that Arkansas is going to beat Auburn, I'd say, yeah, I could see that. But if you tell me that Auburn's going to beat Texas A&M, I could say, yeah, I see that too. Or if you say Auburn goes on the road and gets blown out by Ole Miss or Mississippi State, I'd believe you. Or vice versa. If you told me, yeah, Auburn went in and took care of business against Mississippi State and got it done, I would believe you. And so I think that's what most of the games this year will be like for Auburn. Most of them will be those 50-50 games where it's anybody's game down the stretch. But what it's going to come down to is if Auburn can win those close 50-50 games down the stretch in the fourth quarter and down the stretch in the season. Four and eight, that's not happening. I can promise you that. We got 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Stay tuned. We got more coming up.
Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika sports leader. Yesterday, I talked to Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC podcast, uh, like I normally do on Thursday afternoons, and it's always a great interview. He's just like me, where he's going to tell you like it is. He he's not. I mean, he's not going to mince his words. He's going to tell you exactly what he's thinking, exactly like it is. And I love that about him. I love having Chris Gordy here on the show. If you missed it, I'm going to play it again right now. It was a great interview. So if you missed it, this is my conversation yesterday with Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. Welcoming in Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris, there's a lot going on. Let's jump right into it. The quote-unquote news today that there's some ACC teams that are possibly negotiating their way to the SEC. It's only been reported by one person and one site. Don't want to say that it's not legit, but there's only one person reporting it. But it makes for good conversation, so I wanted to get your take on this. There's a report that... North Carolina, Virginia, Florida State, and Clemson are trying to negotiate their way to the SEC. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, my my initial reaction to it was, uh, you know, consider the source. And I say that with full, you know, no, no means to disrespect the, the guy who tweeted that out. I know he's got a blue check mark, but, you know, it's the first time I've ever heard of Swim Swam Sports or whatever the website yeah, is. Yeah, me so, too, man. Uh you know, I saw Dennis Dodd commented and said, you know, kind of the same thing. Consider the source. And look, you know, it's not to say people don't get things, um, you know, from their research and all that and, you know, get information. They put it out there. But unless it's coming from Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated or, you know, just like some of the big names like Dennis Dodd, like the guys who've been all over conference realignment and all that kind of stuff from the very beginning – I take it from a with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, my buddy Brent Swerneman from the Houston Chronicle last year, he was the one to put out there the week of SEC Media Days that you know he got it on good authority that Texas and and Oklahoma were coming to the SEC. And again, like even him putting it out there, he's a guy from a reputable news source with a blue check mark. And I was like, yeah, I still kind of want to see somebody else back this up. That's kind of where we are in the day and age with Twitter and. Anybody with a with a Twitter account can put news out there. So, anyway, I say all that to say, uh, if it is true, I mean, if the report is true, it's it's interesting. I mean, Virginia over Virginia Tech. Like, I think the the big thing that we have to start considering here when we talk about um, you know adding teams to conferences is it, it, there's there's twofold. One, it's it's market and state. You know, like market size. What city? Are you adding, and, you know, is it a state that you don't already have? And two, what does the team bring wise? Forget basketball, forget baseball, forget all these other sports. And, by the way, Virginia, very good baseball school, very good basketball school, not such a good football school, So at least in the last 20 years or so. So, to me, that, that one doesn't make sense. And at least Virginia Tech has a much more storied tradition of, of football uh, success and um, you know, again, it would seem a little bit better fit, I guess, in the SEC. But, um, you know, that, that's the thing. I've seen some people putting out there, well, what about Duke? you got to have Duke. I'm sorry. Duke basketball is great. Duke football, not so great. And, again, like when we talk about profit, stuff that's profitable, basketball is largely a revenue-losing sport. You lose money on basketball across the majority of schools in this country. Football generates revenue. Even Rutgers 
gets into the you know the positives with money from football revenue. So it's um, football is the straw that stirs the drink. So I'm a little uh, I was a little taken aback when I saw Virginia in there, but uh, you know the other ones. I mean, I, I would think Clemson is the first one you start with if you're the SEC. Obviously, you know they have been the best football school in the ACC the last uh, decade. They make a lot of sense. If you want to go tradition, Miami and Florida State make a lot of sense. So those are the schools I'd be starting with before I start talking about Virginia. But, again, if it's all about getting into a state you're not in, well, Virginia or Virginia Tech does that. Speaking with Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC Podcast, not speaking on these four teams specifically in that one report, but just in general, if the SEC does decide to go and add more teams to the conference – in your opinion, what would the reaction be of the current teams and schools in the SEC if they do add some more? Yeah, I mean, the road gets tougher. I mean, that, that's what I think people don't realize. I think a lot of us are being armchair quarterbacks sitting on our, on our couch going, yeah, get this school and this school. Well, you know, we already have the best conference. It'll be even better. You know, I have a friend who's, who's an LSU fan who was saying yesterday, you know, I'm sick of us playing Louisiana Monroe and Troy and – you know, these non-conference games, give me a, give me some big dogs, give me Florida State, give me Miami and all that. And my reaction to that is, dude, you realize you're making your schedule that much tougher. You're going from, you know, what could have been a 10-2, a, a and 9-3 type season to suddenly you're talking more 7-5 and five because you've just made your schedule that much tougher. It's so funny. You know, fans always want the big opponent. Yeah, we want to play Ohio State in, in Auburn. Yeah, and then when you lose that game, you're going back and going, hey, maybe it would have been better to play Troy. You know, like, that's, that's where we are. Like, we want the sexy matchups, but what do you do when you lose the sexy matchups? What do you do when you start losing and that coach that, you know, you were all excited about hiring is suddenly, you know, 500 coaches two years in? Well, you start talking buyout. You start talking, we got to fire this guy. Who else can we get? And it's just this, it's this weird, vicious cycle of, like, raised expectations, win at all costs. Yeah, you can have one down year, but you better not have two down years in a row. I mean, that's that's where we are with college football. So that's where I would say, you know, maybe pump the brakes on fan bases that are saying, yeah, let's go get this school and this school. No, 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 no. If I'm, the SEC, if, if I'm a fan of an SEC school right now, and keep in mind, we're already adding Texas and Oklahoma, who are two really good programs, I'd be looking at saying, yeah, let's go add Virginia. Let's go add, uh, you know, maybe Wake Forest. Let's add, like, let's add some of the – teams that we think can be W's on our schedule as opposed to some bigger powers that are going to make it a lot tougher to win. I completely agree with you. I'm so glad you said that. I completely agree because I've been talking about Auburn and when it comes to football, it's known that Auburn plays one of the toughest schedules every single year. And then if you got to add Clemson to that schedule, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. I really don't. And so I think that would be the reaction for Auburn. And it should be the reaction of a lot of other SEC schools as well. Talking with Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC podcast. Chris, over the 4th of July weekend, I hope you had a great 4th of July yourself, but there was a ton of recruiting over this past weekend and past 10 days, really, just a ton of recruiting in the SEC of commitments, big-time names to big-time schools. Who were some of the highlights you had on your list? Yeah, I like the uh, wide receiver that Auburn picked up. I was watching a little film on him. Uh, looks looks the part. I mean, lo- looks like he could be – I mean, what, what's been Auburn's big gripe these la- this last year plus? It's been – finding the go-to receiver or having one and being able to hold on to him and not leaving him the transfer portal. So um, I like that. Um, you know, Alabama's made some nice additions. LSU, Brian Kelly finally woke up. They were a, 
they were kind of napping, I guess, when it came to recruiting. And all of a sudden, in like a handful of four days, Brian Kelly picked up like three defensive ends, a, a linebacker for the 2024 class. So finally starting to pick up for, for Brian Kelly and company. Uh, Shane Beamer just keeps adding four-star linebackers from the state of Florida. I don't know what's going on in South Carolina, but they're dipping into Florida. But to me, the, 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 the bigger story just among, you know, Brian Kelly's starting to pick up, but Billy Napier at Florida, man, they are losing recruiting battle after recruiting battle to Miami right now. And the big thing is because of NIL deals. Um, you know, Texas, I don't know if you saw this, after the Arch Manning commitment, Texas mm-hmm. has picked up 10 commitments since the Arch Manning commitment. Uh, kids out of Louisiana and across the state of Texas. I mean, they are going everywhere and anywhere. And these kids are, we're calling it Arch Madness. Uh, every kid is following Arch Manning to, to, to Texas. And it's kind of funny because. Steve Sarkeesian may stink again this year. What if he goes six and six or seven and five? I don't think the fans can do anything. They can't fire him because you got Arch Manning. You got to hold on to Sark to keep that Arch Manning commitment. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just an interesting one, just in terms of the effect it's having on the SEC. But man, A and M continues to kill it. Uh, you know, like I said, Alabama's picking it up. Georgia's doing well, uh, but Florida is really lacking. Like I said, losing out to Mario Cristobal, who hasn't even coached a game yet at Miami. I keep asking, I'm like, what are they selling at Miami? And you go, oh, I get it. It's an IL deal because, you know, Miami's been largely a nothing the last handful of years in college football. Um, so, again, that's just kind of my takeaways on, on what's going on. Uh, you know, Eli Drinkwitz has been kind of slow at Vanderbilt, I mean, at, at Missouri, getting some kids in. So, uh, be really curious to see how these next couple weeks play out because, and a lot of the big names are already off the board. And, uh, you know, you start looking at that December signing date. You know, it's uh, now's the time to do your damage and, and get the bulk of your kids into your class side. And Chris, when you talk about Florida losing out to recruiting battles to Miami because of NIL, that's definitely the reason. What do the Gators and that program have to do to try to get some players to come and play there? Oh, I got to open up the checkbook. I mean, I, that's what I love. I don't know if you saw comments. Mark Stoops talked with the media this morning. Uh, Kentucky, and he kind of hinted at it. I mean, it, Mitch Barnhart, their athletic director, he's been a great AD in his time there. With John Calipari, what he's done on the uh, on the basketball court, granted, you wish he had one or two more championships in there, but but every year he's got them in the tournament and, and going on deep runs. But uh, the football program's been a little slow to come around on NIL, and, you know, that's where I look at with uh, with Kentucky is, is Mark Stoops comes out today and basically says, hey, we know what this is, you know, like we know what the deal is. We got to start putting our money where our mouth is and start paying for some, for some players. So um, thought that was kind of interesting from, from Mark Stoops coming out of Kentucky, but yeah, I, I mean, and, and this will, this will be an interesting storyline at SEC media days. Cause I kind of want to, I kind of want to ask Jimbo Fisher this. I know he's going to get very defensive because he's been all about what we don't pay players. We just, we bring kids here because they want to play for A&M and they like our program. It's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But like, so the rule says you can't use uh, NILs as an inducement for recruiting. But there was a viral video that came out last week of a, mm-hmm. a, a tour guide, presumably an assistant coach, giving a tour of A&M and says, hey, you see those uh, suites up there? You know, plenty of boosters there that will you know, pay you, you know, pay you money with NIL deals if you come to play here. And so it, it's a weird thing because, like, if that kid, like, the fact is, if that kid chooses to pick A&M, a&M has plenty of big money people who support their program that are willing to legally invest it into an NIL deal and give it to the kid. That's a fact. The problem is the rule says you can't use it as an inducement. 
So you have to act stupid and dumb and like, oh, what money? I have no idea what you're talking about until the kid is on campus. And then suddenly, yeah, he's got an NIL deal. He's got an NIL deal. Like, that's the weird part about this. It's like we have to keep our nose in the sand and act like we don't know anything until they're on campus and go, yeah, they got an NIL deal, completely legal. So that's where I wonder where this thing is going to go because it's it's really silly if it, if it really is about you can't use NIL as an inducement. Everybody's doing it. Jimbo's doing it. Cristobal's doing it at Miami, and the ones who aren't doing it are the ones that are losing in recruiting right now. Well, I mean, at this point, you would be stupid not to do it because everybody else is doing it, and the ones that are are getting all of the big-time recruits. Chris, how did it get to this point? Because obviously NIL was brought up and was created, and it was a good idea, but of course the NCAA just said, yeah, here you go, and it went from what it should have been to what it is now. How did that happen, and is there a way to fix it? Yeah, I mean, there were no parameters set up. I mean, it should have been, uh, you know, the rule should have been, first up, you know, two-phase. First up, if any kid wants to create his own clothing line, his own business, his own website, he has more power to do that, and all the profits can go right into his bank account from that website. So, obviously, that kid would get with somebody who could set it up, run the business, you know, run it and all that, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the first part. The second one is, man, you want to sign any marketing opportunities if, Big Jim's car dealer wants to give you a truck and put your face on the billboards and all that. You're more, you know, you can absolutely do that and, and take it from there. Uh, but there needed to be a stipulation in there about, you know, what, what we have these things that are called collectives that have been created. Where basically it's like booster clubs or you know uh, alumni groups that that fund the the program already. You know, the people who write the check to get the new library and all the stuff like that, like. All they're doing is just funneling that money now towards the pool that's going towards the players. And, again, that's fine. Like, you want to do that with the current players, it's fine. But, again, I don't know how you control it to say you can't do it for the 17-year-olds coming out of high school to choose your school. You know what I mean? Like, that's where the there needs to be some more kind of regulation or stipulation. Um, but then, again, part of me says, you know what? If these morons with all their billions of dollars want to write checks to 17-year-olds who may or may not pan out, you don't let them. When, when that kid doesn't uh, pan out or ends up transferring after a year, it's their money that they wasted. That kid got a little money in his pocket. So, it, again, like it all goes back to the NCAA not setting up rules and regulations, not, not uh, having oversight and getting ahead of this thing. And that's a big reason why Mark Emmert has one foot out the door and the NCAA has no leadership. And basically all the Power Five conferences are about to crumble outside of the SEC and the Big Ten. And you know what? We're not surprised at all that the NCAA dropped the ball on this either. Speaking with Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC Podcast. Before I let you get out of here, Auburn football, you talked about the wide receiver commit. They also picked up the running back commit in this 2023 class. But Auburn fans are still worried because there's only four guys committed in this 2023 class. Do you have words of positivity that an affirmation for Auburn fans or maybe not so much? So I'm glad you mentioned this. On my show today, Locked on SEC, you can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. I had Colby Wooden on from Auburn. Awesome I saw that. Kid. Yeah, awesome kid going, you know, going into his uh, third year on the, you know, on the field. And, uh, you know, this is his money year. His redshirt junior year, he had four sacks two years ago, five last year. If he takes that step forward, gets eight, nine sacks this year, he's going to leave after this year. He's going to go to the draft. He's going to go high, and he's going to go be an NFL player. Uh, what that kid says about how much he loves Brian Harson, how much he likes his coaching staff, how much he really likes Jeff Schmetting. Like, I, I think it's the proof is in the pudding, and we're not, we're not going to see it until Auburn hits the football field. But once they do, 
and they start to win some games and they're better than a lot of people are projecting them to be this year, that's when I think you're going to start to see a lot of kids come into the class. That's, I think right now there's hesitancy. I think there's hesitancy because people are worried. You know, all the offseason talk about, about Harson and, you know, what, you know, are they going to fire him? Uh, losing all the assistant coaches, kids hitting the transfer portal, like all those concerns. I feel like at least from the, like up close with the program have been settled right now, but on the outside looking in, you know, how, how do the recruits and all those kids perceive it? That's where you're not going to see it until they start proving it on the field. So once Auburn gets on the field, they get a couple wins under their belt. I think that'll settle the nerves of some of the undecided, uh, uh, you know, recruits out there to say, okay, it looks like there is some stability here. It looks like Arson's not going anywhere and they'll start committing. And, and then again, on the flip side, if they don't, if they start losing games and they start the season one and three, you're not going to get those recruits. And the, the boo birds are going to get louder and Arson will be gone next year. Well, Chris, good stuff as always. Maybe that helps Auburn fans feel a little bit better about this recruiting class in 2023. Always good talking to Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC Podcast. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing. Yeah, just uh, search Locked On SEC. LockedOnSEC.com is the quickest way to the podcast. Uh, or just go to YouTube, search Locked On SEC. You'll see our interview there with Colby Wooden. And uh, some really interesting stuff. You don't want to miss his thoughts on uh, his reaction after the Alabama game. He uh, reveals something uh, pretty interesting to us. So go check it out. Well, great teaser. Chris, I'll talk to you next week. It's always good having you on. All right. Thanks, man. That was my conversation yesterday with Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. I wanted to play it again. He gave a lot of great insight about Auburn football, the SEC, what's going on around college athletics. Always good talking to Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. That was my conversation with him yesterday. Let's take our final break here on the Friday edition of On the Line. We'll come back. I'll have final take. We'll get out of here for the weekend. Stay tuned. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Final take today. We've got about three minutes or so before I get out of here. Make sure you stay tuned. It'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck right after me from 4 to 6 right here on ESPN 106.7. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Also, if you missed any of the show today, go and find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. I will upload that immediately following today's show. So make sure you go and find that as well. If you missed any of today's show, it's been a great one so far. Final take here on Friday before I get out of here for the weekend. And it's about Auburn football's win projections, right? In Sports Illustrated, I talked about it earlier. They released their predictions and they have Auburn going four and eight. That is wrong. (laughs) Okay, that's wrong. How many wins will Auburn get this season? We'll have to find out. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I can't look into the future and tell you actually how many games Auburn is going to win. But I can promise you this. It will be more than four. Auburn will not go four and eight this season. There are winnable games on the schedule. There's more talent on this team than people realize. And I think the system and the program that Brian Harson is building and running right now will work. He's doing it the right way. He's doing the right things. I'm hearing good things coming out of the program. And I just think he's doing it the right way. 
He made it through the craziness in February. Some players left that didn't want to be here, and that's fine. And Auburn has picked up some dudes in the transfer portal. I think this team is going to be just fine. Are they going to compete and win the national championship? No. But are they going to go 4-8 and eight and Brian Harson get fired? I don't think so. Now, could they have a losing season by like one game like they did last year? I could see it, but I don't think that's what happens. I think Auburn gets eight wins this year. And of course, we will talk about this more as the season approaches. We are 57 days away from Auburn football kicking off on September 3rd. But here's what I'm here to tell you right now before I get out of here. You should be confident in Auburn football. You should be excited for the season. There are people that are not. There are people that are worried about this team, about this program, and worried that we're going to have to fire our coach and get another one and start all over again. That's not the case. I don't think that happens this year. I think Auburn competes. I think Auburn has some really good games. I think they're probably going to lose a couple close calls. And I think some of those games that they're not supposed to win at all may be a little bit closer than you think. Will they win them? We'll have to find out. But I'm confident in Auburn. I'm confident in the season. And you should be too. That's all I got here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.